Taking Ship, a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Frank Spring, joined as ever by Ellie Jacobs, a man who knows the reason for the season but refuses to divulge it. Good afternoon, Ellie. Hey, Frank. As always, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for their comments, both positive and negative, and urge everyone to please, please, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at, at Taking Ship, and that's ship with a P as in pachyderm. Uh, tomorrow morning, we're going to be recording an interview with Noah Rothman, who's the associate editor of Commentary Magazine. Uh, he is a obviously a conservative pundit, as Commentary Magazine is one of the primary conservative outlets. Uh, we're looking forward to a really great conversation. Um, I've been fo- I follow Noah on Twitter. I read a lot of his stuff. Uh, he's a really smart guy. He's got a great sense of humor, so I think it'll be a great conversation. Um, but in yes, the interim, and I have promised to be not excessively uncivil. So everyone can look forward to my inexcessive civility and yes. incivility. Frank has promised to drink di- decaf uh, in the morning. Greater love hath no man. <laughs> but uh, we did want to take a couple minutes and just talk about some of the stuff going on this week. Uh, obviously, it's been a, a really interesting week. Uh, and we'll start with uh, Roy Moore, um, who is not the author of Moore's Law. Um, but we want... We'd like to just give, we want to give a quick recap as Frank laughs in the background because sorry. we've, no, we've, we've discussed having a laugh track and I think this is working. <laughs> oh, but I didn't mean to do this, but as soon as came to, oh, you horrible garden gnome. Oh God, I'm so glad to be rid of him. Oh, it's so good. I lost oh man. All right. Sorry. Go on. All right. So we just wanted to offer a quick recap. Um, of how we got to this point. So it starts way back when Donald John Trump takes the golden escalator down, uh, down to our level of, of the plebes in, uh, in Trump Tower back in uh, 2015. Uh, very quickly, um, our buddy Jefferson Beauregard, Sessions III, a.k.a. Trebo, endorses him, becomes his, uh, really only his only elected official endorsement for quite some time. Um, is that leads his national security um, uh, non-think tank internally, uh, which obviously creates all sorts of issues with uh, Russians uh, that, that now that we now know. Um, but uh, what, what we then get to is once, once Trump is elected, he appoint, he uh, nominates Jeff Sessions, who is, I mean, let's just say mildly unqualified, if not entirely unqualified as attorney uh, to be attorney general. Uh, the Senate being gracious to one of their own confirms him, comes out a little bit later that he lied to the Senate Judiciary Committee about meetings with the Russian ambassador during the transition and during the campaign. Somehow that doesn't remove him from office, but he does recuse himself from everything, anything having to do with the Russian based investigation. Rod Rosenstein, Stein, Stein, crap, I can never remember. Stein, I think, um, is, is now in charge of that investigation. Rosenstein and Sessions write a memo uh, to Trump about reasons to fire Comey. Apparently, Trump was already planning on doing it anyway, as we now know from uh, leaks from uh, um, various investigations going on. Trump fires Comey. Rosenstein appoints a special counsel. Uh, then there's the special election in uh, in Alabama to replace Sessions, in which Trump backs Luther Strange. Um, and we need to remind everyone that there's really only like 15 working days left for uh, Luther Strange and Angus King to sponsor the Strange King MAGA resolution, which we really hope will happen. Strange loses in this primary. 
Trump is furious about that because he backed the wrong guy, even though Bannon was backing more. Trump fumes about Sessions recusing himself, thinking that it was all Sessions' fault that now he's being investigated and turning his administration topsy-turvy. Trump then decides to back the kid touching more uh, for the general election against, uh, against the Democrat. More loses and a, a seat that had been held by the Republicans for a quarter century goes to the Democrats. Uh, all in all, thank you, Trebo. Yeah, this is one of the most glorious messes in modern politics. I mean, this is this is just all of these people deserve each other so much and got each other good and hard. I mean, this is just this is tremendous. Um, and I mean, there's not that much. You know, most of the analysis that is out there, like you know, is you know, is, has been fairly sound. Uh, most, you know, I I have I, I perished on Tuesday night of gloating. Uh, I, I woke to uh, to gloat again and perished again. <clears throat> um, this is great. Uh, this is the this is one of this. There is there are not enough superlatives to account for this. Partly because Doug Jones is apparently a very decent guy. Uh, I think will be a, a great senator for the uh, the surprisingly great state of Alabama, the unexpectedly great state of Alabama, if I may say. Uh, and but also, this is mainly as Rahm Emanuel said. It's not once said. It's not just that we fucking won. It's that they fucking lost. Uh, there was the the this, this sense of sort of creeping cold that I think touched a lot of us uh, when it looked like uh, Moore might be in a position to win it, and he almost did. I mean, to be fair, like this was a nail biter <clears throat> when it looked like Moore might be able to win this thing. The idea that that there was a state, even the reddest state in the union, that there was a state that would that would elect this cartoonishly villainous. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just on this podcast, I think I borrowed Charlie Pierce's expression to call him, a, you know, he's a lawless theocrat. And that was before we knew that he had uh, some sexual proclivities that are, are just frankly grotesque um, and, you know, and un, un, you know un, unworthy of anyone, much less an elected official. Uh, you know, the idea that this guy and, and before he said that things were better during that, you know, life was better during the slave era. I mean, this was just, this guy was, I think it was, things would be better if the, if we had stopped after 10 amendments. Uh, yeah, he did say that, but, but also, but don't, don't sleep on the part where he also talked about how, you know, even during slavery, people really took like families took care of each other. And mm-hmm. it's, people looked after each other. So, well, no, actually uh, some families looked after other families because they had to, uh, or, or there would be lethal, or there potentially lethal consequences, and then the families that were being looked after uh, abused them and sold them. That was how it worked during slavery. It wasn't that families took care of each other. Uh, so this guy was, you know, and again, like you know, the, the the picture paints itself. The idea of this guy having this guy, the idea of this guy being elected, that there's any constituency that would vote this person in, uh, just it, 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 there was a a sickness to it that was really quite revolting. And yes, the fact that a large number of people voted for him is incredibly troubling. But nonetheless, uh, he, you know, we fucking won. He fucking lost. Uh, and it, it's just, it has been a tremendous couple of days. So God, you know, God bless you, Doug Jones. And, and God bless you, Roy Moore, for your defeat. In your loss, you encourage us all. Piss off. Yeah, you know, before we move on, I just want to run through a couple of the numbers of, uh, of this guy. And, and one of the things that I, 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 one of the Twitter things that I loved was uh, Roy, Morris's, Roy Moore's horse uh, Twitter account, uh, because it's, uh, it was very apparent even to me who... Um, I think I've ridden a horse a dozen times in my life. Uh, it was obvious to me that he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, this man has never. This th- he rode like someone who had never seen a horse. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, he like, basically. What, what, is this, what is this weird giant dog I'm supposed to get on? Yeah. <laughs> 
but some of the numbers that Frank was talking about. So uh, 650,000 plus people did actually vote for Roy Moore, which represented a uh, little more than 91% of Republicans in the state. Um, and we're, and somehow the Republicans are going to claim that he doesn't represent the party, but that we'll leave that alone. Another number that was striking is 22,000 write-in votes, which was a bigger, which was bigger than the actual margin of victory. I'm putting the, I'm putting the number on the, uh, the line on those that were cast for Nick Saban at, uh, six and a half thousand, uh, you know, tweet me, uh, drop me a line. Let me know if you want the over or the under roll tide. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that sounds about right. Um, you know, and this is a state that where, where uh, the exit polls were saying that Donald Trump's approval ratings are he's 48, 48. And this is a state that he won by what, 30 points? A little, yeah, in that range, maybe a little better. Maybe than a little that. less. This is like this. Is, um, this is oh boy, is that a red state? Good. Yeah. Lord. Yeah. Um, except for the uh, so-called black belt, which having seen it on a map now, now I understand the, the, the phrase. Yeah, it's the one. And it's worth pointing out, like, and, and this is this is this has come out pretty clearly, but uh, this is a state that Trump won handily, uh, that just went for a Democratic senator, uh, and uh, none of the congressional districts changed. Yeah, would have changed would have changed hands if they had been up today. Uh, there are yeah. seven congressional districts. One of them is Democrat. Uh, six of them are Republican. That was true uh, on the day Donald Trump was elected. That was also true on Tuesday. Uh, if that is not a if that is not the smoking gun of gerrymandering, I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah. So you know, just a couple more quick thoughts on this. Uh, the first is Richard Shelby, um, who I think who is the senior senator from Alabama, who used, was elected initially as a Democrat, switched parties in 1994. Uh, I guess he once again saw the writing on the political walls and decided to come out and say that he was that he offered a write-in vote and suggested other people in the state do the same. So presumably he's responsible for a great deal of those write-in votes. Um, although Alabama's winning record probably also fe- worked into that in, in, in their favor as well, as Frank just mentioned. Get, be advised, Nick Saban gets votes every election in Alabama. Yeah. It, it happens all the time. They're usually a small number, but, but, he, but it's, it is a recurring theme. So we're already starting from a very solid base of Nick Saban having a, you know, a pretty viable political career in that state, even though he's not running for anything. Yeah, people really should. There should be somebody should do a survey, a study of uh, votes for coaches in in states. Like I, yeah. I imagine Don Shula probably gets some votes in the in the Miami area every year. That wouldn't surprise. Yeah, there's a whole thing about the number of there. There've been some some interesting digging into the the various write-in candidates, some of which are pretty fun. I actually will say I might have set that figure a little bit high. Six and a half thousand is a little bit might be a little high for Saban. I don't know, but if we take Saban and Malzahn and Gus Malzahn, the head coach at Auburn, combined, then I'll bet we're probably getting up into the like six or five. You know, so, you know, six six and a half thousand votes. Roll Tide and also War Eagle. Yeah. So you know, the the, the only things that I'll, I'll mention on the on the back end were. You know, just the true irony of conservatives having jumped up and down on liberals for years and years and years about being having no moral backbone and making everything relative. And now we have, you know, Roy Moore and Donald Trump. That's just yeah. a certain level of irony. Yeah, this is something that Jason Stanford, the Commodore, brought up a little while ago that like we used to be the degenerates. Yeah. Right, like we were the ones that were leading us down to a path of, uh, you know, of, of, you know, of turpitude. And, and that's how I liked it. Yeah. You know, that we have to be the responsible ones now, the ones who are just like, no, 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 you've got to like behave yourself. Like, I mean, what the hell is this? This is a this is a reversal. And I'm afraid of this sort of creeping effect of decency that we'll have on the Democratic Party. I, I, I won't stand for it. <laughs> no one should. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think we'll just leave it with that with uh, with Roy Moore, um, you know. 
hopefully we'd never see him again. Uh, I can't imagine that will actually be the case because it seems like these degenerate Republican politicians like Joe Arpaio and, and Dave Clark and Sarah Palin, they just, they just keep coming back. Yeah. And this is the, this is a, this is a good question about, about more that I think is, I actually will think is, I think is really interesting. You know, is he going to be, what, what is Moore's post candidacy career like? You know, does, you know, I mean, does, does he run again or having lost once, does he come back? That's, that, that's a, that is one potential question. I think a, a more interesting question is, I just assume he becomes a stonemason and just starts making, you know, seven, seven ton. Yeah. That's exactly statues for people. Decides to go back and spend more time in the third century. Um, I think the, the question for me is, does he, does he get on, like, does he follow the Palin path essentially and get on Fox news? Like, does he do, does he become a talking head uh, for, you know, for Fox news? Because if he, or, or is the idea that, Yes, this man is is essentially an openly declared bigot. Yes, he is in every meaningful sense of the term. Yes, he is again a lawless theocrat. Yes, he's all of these things. That none of that none of that appeared to bother the Republicans particularly. What did bother them very, what appears to have bothered them very much as well, it might is um, are the the substantial accusations of uh, having uh, having sexually preyed upon teenage girls. Uh, would you know that appears to have done it in? So does that. Does you know? Does that preclude him from having a having a post candidacy career in all but the fringiest of elements of the Republican Party, or you know? So basically, in that scenario, that stuff was largely overlooked by a substantial number of Republicans, and including uh, you know, including Mitch McConnell, who walked back his Roy Moore should drop out comment, and substantially, and and Donald Trump, who actually endorsed Moore, much to his chagrin. Another again, <laughs> delightful. You know, we're, was we're all you know was you know was the idea we're going to tolerate this guy because he has a shot at meeting Doug Jones, and he's you know and if he does we're going to get a vote for the tax you know, for the tax bill. Now that he has lost, is the is the Republican Party like the rest of us going to say all right you know loser don't let the door hit you on the you know on the way out, or is the idea or will they cleave to? the fever dream that at least Moore's base has, which is, you know, the, this is a good man who was framed or, or whatever. Uh, and, and again, I think that will be, I, I don't want to make a prediction there because I don't want to try and get these people's heads, but if we start seeing him in, you know, on Fox news or any, of any of the other kind of more mainstream uh, conservative uh, outlets, it will be a sense that the fever has spread farther than we originally thought. Uh, if, on the other hand, he is just sort of, you know, tossed down the memory hole and, you know, and, and consigned to the leith of forgotten things, uh, that at least may may indicate that the that you know a, that a Republican the Republican base has cleared a pretty low bar in terms of you know who they want hanging around and who they want to get their news and opinion from. We talked about that a little bit a couple of weeks ago when we were uh, recounting the political article that uh, was citing Republican uh, Republican senators on the Hill and their quotes and opinions about Roy Moore and uh, the, the amount of equivocation and. Uh, who was it? Was it, uh, um, uh, I think it was Ron Johnson, but I'm not sure. I don't want to, you know, nab anybody because Ron Johnson then came out and yesterday and said that, I guess people from Alabama didn't want uh, a pedophile as a Senator, but I, I believe he was the one who said, I think he'll be for the tax. I think he'll be for the tax cut. So that's okay. Initially right. it was weeks ago. There's some people who are going to have to live with some stuff that was that was pretty shocking, uh, and and whether there'll be any electoral consequences for them is not entirely clear. Uh, you know, my my hope is that you know they they will pay some personal consequences, but if but uh, that does not there, but that would require that some of these folks gen, uh, demonstrate the existence of a conscience, which is uh, a lot more than certainly Mitch McConnell's ever done. 
So uh, what my last point on this thing, uh, and then I will simply return to... Uh, well, Frank, I would say that I, I don't know that we'll necessarily see him in mainstream Republican like Fox mm-hmm. News, but uh, I imagine he'll do the Breitbart News, Newsmax, uh, sure. Steve Bannon set. Yeah, I think, yeah, he'll, they, they I think will, he'll remain there. Yeah, that seems about right. The kind of like the, you know, the, the fringe dog and pony show that is, um, you know, that is the kind of the, the, that sort of that, that space that exists essentially, you know, either part of the alt-right or kind of where the right meets the alt-right. Now for, for progressives, I would say, uh, let's, let's make sure that we learn the right lesson here. Uh, you know, there is clearly, uh, you know, there's clearly a lot of, anti- other than, other than make Charles Barkley, the head of the democratic party. Oh man. The stopped clock is right twice a day. Uh, if, <laughs> you know, just, oh my God. Uh, if the right lesson for, the right lesson here is not, uh, that we can, that there is a, that there is a Trump, uh, there's an anti-Trump wave building, although there very well could be. There is clearly evidence that, uh, opinion on Trump influenced this, that Republicans are disaffected with Trump, that there is, there is resentment toward him and that benefits Democrats. That, and you know, we on the other, let's look at this and I'm not pouring cold water on this because I'm enjoying laughing at all of this. This is glorious. This is a great triumph. Credit to everyone who voted, credit to everyone who worked hard on this thing. It took the worst federal candidate. We, we ran against the worst federal candidate I have ever seen. And that includes yeah. Donald Trump. We ran against the worst federal candidate I have ever seen and won by, won by less, than a ten, less than a point. I, I grant that is a massive swing against the, Repu- against the Republican Party. We cannot count on running against the worst federal candidate ever uh, in most of the elections that are going to occur next year. Uh, so, you know, this is just because, you know, it is pretty clear now that we are fighting on a battlefield that is of our choosing, that is, fa- that is favorable to us. Uh, the battle still has to be fought. Candidates still have to be good. They still have to prep. Uh, voting against, you know, running against, you know, they, we still, and, and this does not obviate our need to articulate a vision for the Democratic Party, for an America under the Democratic Party. Uh, that just doesn't obviate our need to do that at all. Uh, we still have to do that because that is what is going to enable us to run up some to run up some margins if we're going to win anyway. That's what it will enable us to properly take advantage of the favorable battlefield that Trump has given us. Uh, we can't simply count on him to win this thing for us. Amen to that. Yes, and in conclusion, <laughs> uh, so good. Yeah, that'll work. All right, what else we want to talk? What else do we want to touch on before? Uh, yeah, let's let's just touch briefly on uh, this. The, there's a story in the Washington Post about uh, about Russia and Trump, and in particular, Trump essentially not just ignoring Russia, but 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 pointedly refusing to be told anything about Russia. Uh, Russia's interference in the election, uh, Russia's uh, Russia's continuing nefarious activities around the globe, uh, Russia's essential existence. Like the man just seems to. I mean, the, the basic point of the story is no one can talk to him about Russia. He just refuses to accept the reality of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's essentially his narcissism is coming out in, in full force. Uh, basically, the CIA uh, and the intelligence community adjusts the uh, presidential daily briefing. Uh, the quote is, current and former officials said that his daily intelligence update, known as the President's Daily Brief, or PDB, is often structured to avoid upsetting him. Russia-related intelligence that might draw Trump's ire is in some cases included only in the written assessment and not raised or- orally, which I think we're supposed to take that Trump does not read the written assessment. Going back to my point that I am not sure Donald Trump is a literate human being. 
uh, said a former senior intelligence official familiar with the matter. In other cases, Trump's main briefer, a veteran CIA analyst, adjusts the order of his presentation and text aiming to soften the impact. And this is a, a lengthy article that everybody should read uh, by Greg Miller, Greg Jaffe, and Philip Rucker, the same team um, who brought us the lengthy article about the Obama administration's response to um, Russian meddling and uh, particularly Mitch McConnell's um, true bluegrass turtleness, uh, spinelessness of refusing to sign on to a bipartisan letter pointing it out. Um, but this article goes on at great length about uh, just how um, purposefully ignorant Donald Trump is about this. They don't, they get real, they, they write very carefully about how not to, how they are not drawing the conclusions of why Trump is like this towards Russia. They basically just leave it at the idea that he views any talk of Russia suggests that he did not legitimately win the presidency based on his personality, magnetism, and brilliance. Um, and any suggestion of anything else uh, is contrary to his the way he views his world and views himself. Uh, they don't want to go so far as to say that there was collusion or quid pro quo or the Russians have a compromise on Trump, all the other things that are kind of floating around out there in the ether. They leave it to the idea of what Trump says that he views it, any talk of Russia suggests that he didn't win on his merits, A, and B, he believes that he genuinely believes that um, having a good relationship with Russia is better for the world. That being said, this article and the article that the New York Times wrote, uh, was it this weekend or was it the weekend before about uh, Donald Trump watching 50 to 60 hours of television a week and all that? It was like it was a very long time ago. I think that it might actually have been this week. I think it was this, I think it was this past weekend. Um, That article just showed somebody who's completely uh, out of touch with, uh, I mean, not out of touch in the George H.W. Bush, not knowing how much a gallon of milk costs, but out of touch... um, because he's a, um, incapable of handling the office um, and may be facing you know, some sort of mental decline. Um, but m- more importantly, that he's just out of, out of you know, he, he's, he's out of his league in what he's doing. And my thinking on that is, you know, a lot of what we heard about people who were willing to roll the dice about Donald Trump was that he's a successful businessman. Obviously, you've heard Frank and I talk a lot about how that's not really the case. Uh, but it is the veneer that he puts on veneer being funnier now with the denture thing last week, but we'll leave that aside for the time being. Um, there was this belief that he was a successful businessman because that's the image that he has created for himself over 30 years of a failed business career. Um, and therefore we should trust him because the government, it's better for the government to be run by a businessman. Anyway, we haven't done it that way. We've only ever had politicians and lawyers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, that article in the New York times and this article in the Washington post if articles that were even a smidgen like that were written about the CEO of any company in this country, the board of directors would immediately call for their resignation. There would be short sellers up the ass trying to get, trying to force the board to get rid of him. Uh, the stock would crater. The news would be covering it nonstop. Meanwhile, Donald Trump remains the president. The Republican Party is doing nothing to move that. They are the only people that can do anything about that. Uh, you know, this new anti, this new anti in the Democratic Party to uh, you got to anti up to run in 2020 by calling for Donald Trump to resign. That really isn't going to do it. Oh, that's um, absolutely right. And and, and for, just on that point, can you imagine if like if something like this were written about, like, say, Jeff Immelt, like the uh, CEO of uh, of uh, General of General Electric, of GE, former, 
Former, yeah, former CEO of, G- of General Electric. If something, if this were written about, if it were written about him, if that article were written about him, he, you know, the relevant board would probably have gotten no farther than this man drinks twelve diet cokes a day and been like, all right, we got like just take him out back, yank him, some security, go into you know, security, get a box, let's get this guy out of here. Like that in and of itself would get you turfed out of half the offices in the country. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, F- Frank, we've talked a little bit about what aboutism and the dangers of it and sort of the black hole that it can create at times. Um, and I, I shy away from the what about ism when it comes to allegations about this, that, or the other thing. But I, I, I will steadfastly say that the what about ism of what about if this were a CEO or what about if this were a democratic president and how people would be responding and how the Hill would be responding and how Republicans would re- be responding is I think that is actually a very worthwhile conversation to have. Absolutely. It is a reminder that in spite of, it's a really good illustration of the fact that in spite of what this guy may maintain, uh, the president actually gets a really, gets, I mean, gets one of the freest passes uh, I think we've, we've ever seen from people in positions of, of authority and responsibility. I mean, he is able, like he is held to less account than virtually any government or corporate leader I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it, it's terrifying to think about. He's held in about the same amount of account as uh, the leader in a country that has a controlled media. That's about right. Yeah, which is terrifying because it's not like the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Weekly Standard, the Wall Street Journal, uh, even Fox News at some level. Not necessarily what they broadcast, but their online portion of it. It's not like they're not. All these places are not doing some really phenomenal reporting. It's just seemingly having no impact. And I think maybe what the question becomes, um, and I don't want to spend a lot of time prognosticating about 2018 because prognosticating like that is just senseless. Um, I wonder what what becomes if his approval ratings are in the dumper. Um, the Republican Party is starting to get dragged down into you know Q1, Q2 next year. The tax plan has been passed and signed. Um, what does the Republican Party do then? Do they start? I mean, we've been saying for weeks that once they get some of the deregulation and, and tax cuts through, they may not have a reason for Donald Trump anymore. Yeah, yeah, but they are also uh, they're also tied they're also tied to him. Yeah, he's he's you know he's their guy now. The horse they don't know how to ride or whatever. That's some you know some metaphor. The horse that brought them change in midstream. No, you can't change the horse in the midst. No. <laughs> Some kind of, that's exactly right. Something some with a horse that works, but basically they're screwed. That's yeah. what it comes to. <laughs> you change, you don't change a horse in midstream. You stick with the horse that brought you something that. Yeah. You got to dance with the horse that brought you. That's the one you got to dance with yeah. the horse that brought you. All right. Yeah. And they don't want to get off the horse in midstream because then they drown, I guess. Maybe that's how that metaphor follows through. Mm-hmm. Um, Is a horse in time saves nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose. Yes. Um, all right, friends, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for sticking through this uh, interesting episode recorded over two days just because we are either that lazy or that efficient with our time. Uh, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Twitter at, at Taking Ship, and that's ship with a P as in, uh, let's say, protagonist. Uh, please check out the new Facebook page. It's not new. We're not really updating it. Maybe don't check it out. Screw that. Um, But with that, Frank, where are we headed this week? This week we are headed to British Columbia, where 
Earlier in the week, a human foot washed up on the beach. Uh, this is a grim one, folks, but it's important. Uh, a human foot washed up on the beach in British Columbia. This is not the first time this has happened. In fact, uh, feet have washed up several times on beaches in British Columbia and for a, over the last few years. And for a while, it was assumed that this was the result of something truly terrible. Uh, the, these, the, these, uh, the people who, to whom these feet at one point belonged had met their ends through foul play. Uh, the police have now, the police in British Columbia have now said no. Uh, in fact, this is uh, this this is not the result of uh, foul play of someone doing something truly horrible. Uh, rather, these are uh, the feet of people who as who have uh, met their ends in the ocean through accidental means and other means. Uh, the ocean occasionally comes for its due, as we know. Uh, and I, and for a while, looking at this, I was sort of that, that was briefly encouraging. Oh, thank God, no one is dismembering people and throwing them into the into the sea. But actually. If you think about it, but upon consideration, I've actually, I can't decide which is a more disturbing possibility, that someone is cutting people up and tossing them into the sea, or that feet are just washing up on the beach in British Columbia in the natural course of things. 